To God alone be the praise and the glory. What an awesome song and what an awesome opportunity to just brag on the Lord, accentuate, exalt His name today. Today I have the grand honor of preaching and speaking about Jehovah Mekadishkim. The key word there is kadosh in the Hebrew, which means holy, uh, separate, different, distinct, and so today we have this great opportunity to exalt our Lord and to preach about the holiness of God and by implication not only His holiness but also our own holiness and righteousness and otherness. And so today I'm going to read Leviticus chapter 20 verses 1 through 8 and share this message with you that I'm very, very excited about. Uh, I'm just so thrilled that we get to study God's name and His nature, His attributes, His characteristics. My uh, presupposition is the more we study God and the more we know who He is, uh, the more we will be transformed uh, like unto Him, and we will become that radiant blast of encouragement and hope to the city of Austin, to the great state of Texas, and then our United States, and even uh, to the nations of this earth. We can be known as a church uh, that is on fire. I, I was in a conference this past week in Corpus Christi and heard a very stirring message from a man by the name of uh, Jim Pritchard. And he, it's actually pretty comical. He shared the story when he, uh, years ago, he was pastoring a church in southern Arkansas. And having served a church in Arkansas, I love that state and love uh, the people there. And so I, I, my ears perked up and I was listening to him share uh, his story about the day that the church built him a, a parsonage. Now, for some of you younger generation, you may not know what a parsonage or a pastorium is. Well, basically, it's a home that the church owns, and they let their preacher live in it. And normally, it's like five steps from the church. I, I know this because I used to live in a parsonage, and you live right next door to the church, which has its blessings, and it's a bane sometimes. It's a negative and a positive. But anyhow... There was construction debris all over the yard. And so the pastor in his new home right next to the church, he asked his five-year-old, his three-year-old, he says, boys, we're going to do some manly duty today. We're going to build a fire, and we're going to burn up all this construction debris, and we're going to clean up our new uh, place here. And they're like, okay, Dad, sounds good. Let's make a fire. And so they were getting the materials together. They're picking up all the trash. And the mom, Jeanette, his wife, she poked her head out the door, and she said, honey, do you really need to be doing that? You know, women have an interesting way about them. You know, they're, they're very wise. In other words, she was saying, I don't think you need to be doing this because of the wind. The wind is blowing pretty hard, honey, and if you, if you create that fire, that could get dangerous. He said, I was offended by that. She was questioning my manliness, my fire-making ability. She said, and he said, I, I just told her, I said, what he said next, he said, uh, it wasn't really nice. He said, honey, he said, no, thank you. He said, don't you need to go inside and maybe iron some shirts or something and do something? That's what, that's what he told him. And she said, okay. You know, she shut the door. She went into the new house. He said, come on, boys, let's build this fire. Ain't nothing going to happen to us. And so he was making the fire, and, you know, about that time, the wind started blowing. Sure enough, he said, fire started breaking out around the perimeter of the big fire. He said, okay, boys, come on, let's stomp this thing out. So they would stomp it out, and then a few more broke out over here, and they began to expand, and he started getting a little bit nervous. He said, he said son, uh, run, run in the house and get some tiles, get some wet tiles. we we got to put this fire out. And so the little boy, he five years old, he ran in the house, he grabbed some wet tiles, and his 
His wife, she stuck her head back out the door. And he said, honey, this fire's breaking out. Aren't you going to do something? She said, yeah, I'm going to go back in and iron some shirts, just like you asked. <laughs> he said, well, it started getting intense. He said, wind swept across that fire, blew up to the top of the pine tree, the big old pine tree next to our house in the church. Next thing you knew, he said, I was panicking. Hey, I was calling 911. He said, call 911. He said, now you got to understand, in southern Arkansas, everybody has a scanner. <laughs> so everybody heard the call that went out, the church is on, is on fire. He said, oh, my word. He said, I was not prepared for what I saw next. He said, everybody came. He said, not only did the, did the, <laughs> did the police and the paramedics and the fire, he said, but, I mean, everybody came. The old, the young, the rich, the poor, the, the lame. The, I mean, they all came because word got out that the church was on fire. And then he brought a beautiful point home. He said, you know, I long for the day when our church is spiritually on fire and the lame and the poor, the up and out, y'all with me? And the down and out, they come because the church is on fire. And that's what I'm praying for. I'm, I'm yearning for God to so move upon Great Hills Baptist Church that we become a mighty conflagration, a holy fire that is burning brightly for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word gets out in the Austin community. You know what? There is a church that is on fire for God with burning embers of holiness and love. Let's go check them out. That, that's, that's what I desire. Today, I want to honor his name. I want to preach about God's holiness and God's otherness, his separateness, his majestic nature of who he is and what he expects of us, his people. I'm glad you're sitting down because this is a tough sermon. And I'm only standing up because I have to, and I have to deliver this message. But I want you to know it's not an easy sermon to preach because when you preach on holiness or righteousness, I mean, it's a double-edged sword. You have to do it as a preacher because it is God's Word and it's so true, but it also puts such an onus on us as His people and as this preacher, come on now, to live what you're preaching. And so today, you pray for me as I share my heart with you and share this message on Jehovah Mekadishkim, the God who sanctifies you, the holy God who makes us holy. So let me read it, beginning in verse 1. You can follow along on the screen, or you can read it in your copy of God's Word. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Again, you shall say to the children of Israel, whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who gives any of his descendants to Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from his people because he has given some of his descendants to Molech to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from that man whom when he gives some of his descendants to Molech, I, I, I'm telling you, and they don't kill him, then I'm setting my face against that man and against his family. And I will cut him off from his people. And all who zanah, the Hebrew word, interesting word, we'll talk more about it in a moment, translated, whoever prostitutes themselves with him to commit harlotry with Molech, then I will take them out. Let me, let me stop there for just a moment. Molech 
was an Ammonite god where they, they made human sacrifices to this god to appease this god. And God is being very explicit with these people. He said, you, you're not going to do that. I'm a God that loves life. Did y'all know God is pro-life? He loves the unborn. He loves the elderly. He loves the young, the old. He even loves teenagers. Amen. Aren't you glad? He didn't zap us when we were teenagers. He loves us. He, he loves life. And he says, you are not going to sacrifice those created in my image to some false deity. And if you do, then there will be repercussions. Okay, keep reading. Verse 6. And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits, to Zanah, to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person, and I will cut him off from his people. Now look at verses 7 and 8. Consecrate. Set apart yourselves, therefore, and be kadosh. That's the Hebrew word, kadash. Be holy, for I am the Lord your God, and you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Literally in the Hebrew, I am Jehovah, Mechadishkim, and you are God, and we worship you. Lord, today I beseech you, I pray that you would speak to us. God, draw us to your holy fire. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Make us a unique royal priesthood, a holy nation, so that we can proclaim the praises of you, God, that called us out of darkness into your light. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Leviticus. When's the last time <laughs> you heard a sermon from the Old Testament Torah law book of Leviticus? Well, the book of Leviticus talks about the law. It is the law. It is God spelling out for his people Israel, here are the do's and the don'ts of following me. And the reason I'm giving you these, Moses, to give to the people is because you are going into a very dark and dangerous land. There are people there who literally sacrifice their offspring to these fake, false, demonic deities. And I want you to teach my people they cannot do those things. And there are some other things they just simply cannot do because I am the Lord your God. And I've given you commandments not to hurt you or to harm you, but to gloriously bless you and protect you. And that is God's nature. He loves His people. And He tells us to do things and not do things. Not because He's some big cosmic killjoy, but just He knows best. You know this name, Kadosh, it's used 700 times in the Old Testament Hebrew. Guys, that is a lot. 700 times the word Kadosh or Kadesh or derivative of that Hebrew word is used. It's used a hundred times, one zero zero, a hundred times in the book of Leviticus alone. Nathan Stone in his awesome book, The Names of God, says these words. Listen to this carefully. Yet certainly there is no more important word in all of the Old Testament. That's, that's pretty powerful. This word Kadosh nor does any other name more truly express the character of Jehovah 
and his requirements of his people more than this name, Jehovah Mekadesh, Jehovah who sanctifies. He goes on to quote a Scottish preacher who said, power without holiness is cruelty. Omniscience, knowing everything without holiness is craft. Justice without holiness is revenge, and goodness without holiness is mischief. So today, I'm going to share with you just a two-part sermon. It doesn't have four points. It doesn't have three points. Some of you say, brother, you don't have any point. Well, no point. Well, I do. I have two points on the holiness of God and by implication and by powerful declaration from God's Word, not only His holiness, but our holiness. Wait a minute, preacher. Time out, time out. Whoa, Nellie, hold on. This is Austin, Texas. We have PhDs in rationalization and justification of that which is wicked and evil. Dare you stand up there and preach a message to us about righteousness and holiness, I don't think that's going to go over very well. Well, you're welcome to leave. No, you really are. You're welcome to stand and exit the premises because we're going there, guys. We're going there, and I'm going to just be gut blood honest with you today. It's not easy preaching this sermon. You preach on the holiness of God, that means, preacher, you better be walking with God. You better be holy before God. And I want you to know, guys, I am not perfect, and I am not there, but more than anything else, with all that is within my spiritual being and fiber, I desire to be there. I desire to know God and walk with God and be a holy man of God and lead you to be a righteous people of God, not a Pharisee. Not a folding your arms, pointing your fingers with that righteous Pharisaism and that, that ugly religiosity. No, not weirdness, but different. Walking with God, being sanctified, being set apart. Listen, listen to me. Being a unique people. Whoa, watch this. Watch this. Not so that the Austinites, the people of our great city, will look at us and go, wow, y'all are amazing. You're so different. No. Nope. No, I don't want people looking at me saying, man, you're different. You're all just so this religiously cool people. Nope, I want them to look to God and say, wow, isn't God amazing? That, that's what I want, guys. That's what I want so badly for you. So let's look at this message, sanctification or holiness. What is our part and what is God's part? Number one, our part. The book of Leviticus has two predominant themes. The first theme is the theme of atonement. Atonement through blood sacrifices. If you don't know what atonement is, a good just look at the word, at one. It means that we become one with God through the sacrifice of shedding of blood. You say, oh, really? Yep. Leviticus 17.11, key verse says, it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Now, the blood of animals sacrifices in the Old Testament, they covered up the sins of the people and allowed them to be in right relationship with God. However, it, does, it did not atone completely for the sins of the people because that comes at a later date at a place called Calvary when God's precious Son became that Lamb of God, that sacrifice that totally appeased the holy wrath of God, known as the propitiating sacrifice, Jesus, ooh, listen, 
The book of Hebrews says, not with the blood of goats and cows and bulls and animals, but through the precious blood of His Son. These animal sacrifices only covered what Jesus did on the cross totally cleanses us and makes us right with God. Now, Leviticus points to that great climactic culminating day of atonement. The other theme is this theme of holiness or righteousness, kadosh, as I mentioned a moment ago, used 100 times alone. When it speaks of man, it speaks to us about our purity and about our obedience. However, when kadosh is mentioned about God, it, listen, it's very important, it speaks to His uniqueness and His separateness. The two things that God points out in the text, they both start with M, they're easy to remember, are Molech and mediums. And there could have been many other things that God could have pointed out to say, do not do these things because I am the holy God and I want you to be holy. But He chose these two, and there is such a, a genius reason why God did. And I'm going to give it to you. Here it is. The primary commandments known as the ten, help me, suggestions, right? Or what? The Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not. Yeah, thou shalt not. The first two, you know, it's hard to say, well, two are more important than the others, but really the, the four vertical ones sets the stage, the foundation for the six horizontal ones. The first two are, you shall worship me and me only. You shall have no other gods before me. Secondly, you shall not make any graven images of, of me or any... No, you're not worshiping these idols, these graven images. It's me and me alone because I am the creator God. I am the one true God. All these others are pseudo-fake divinities and deities. For example, there's Molech, the god of the Ammonites. There is Chemosh. There is Baal. There is Ashtira. Leave them alone. They are false deities. We don't worship those gods. They are not the one true God. You shall worship me and me only. And that is God just being honest with His people. Number two, He said, leave the mediums alone. Come on, guys. We have a whole television show in America today called Mediums. He said, Brother Dane, please tell me you're not going there. I'm going there. We're going to talk about mediums and soothsaying and necromancy, which is contacting the dead. Let's talk a minute about this. God prohibits expressly, explicitly prohibits the people of God from dabbling in the realm of the demonic supernatural. We don't do Ouija boards, we don't have seances, and we don't get our palms read. I drove by a palm reader one day, and I stopped my car and went in and shared the gospel with her, and she looked at me and she said, are you a preacher? And I was like, how'd you know that? Kind of freaked me out a little bit, you know what I'm saying? I said, yes, I am a preacher. <laughs> She didn't have many people stop instead of reading. I was sharing with her the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, don't do it. You said, but why? I think it's pretty cool, brother. Then get in a seance or get a Ouija board or contact someone in the realm of necromancy and let me go talk to my great-great-grandfather who fought in the Civil War. I'd just like to go talk to him sometime. Don't do it because I want to tell you why. If they... If they bring something up, friend, it's not your great-grandfather they're bringing up. It is a demonic spirit. 
that imitates and mimics your family abode for the purpose of deception to draw you away from the worship of the true God to the worship of demons. Don't go there. You don't really want to go there. In fact, God says, I expressly prohibit you from dabbling in the occult from anything that smacks of the supernatural realm of the demonic of the underworld. Now, in case you didn't get it, let me read another text, Deuteronomy 18. Don't take my word for it. Take this word for it. When you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow. Oh, does God really say that word? Does he use that word? Yes, he does. The abominations, the dastardly deeds and beliefs of those nations. Don't do that. There shall not be found among you anybody who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. That's what we talked about, Molech. The offering of their posterity, their children, their very newborn children, burning them in a fire to appease a God that doesn't exist. I don't know about you, but I don't want to worship a God like that. Take my, it's like the precious Indian people, and I, I, I see this. It, they, they go to the Ganges River, and they plummet their babies under the water until they suffocate, drown, and die to appease the gods that they might be forgiven of their sin. Can I just go on record and say, God has already paid the price. His name is Jesus Christ. You don't have to do that. You can be cleansed and forgiven. Keep, keep reading. Look at this. Or one who practices witchcraft or soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. Hey, I think God's gone on record here. He has been pretty exhaustive in this area, in this realm. He says, for all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out, okay? Keep reading, guys, or, or keep roll it. One more. There's, there's a little bit more left. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. Listen, guys, the context is Molech and mediums again. And he's repeating it in Deuteronomy. This is Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 14. You shall be blameless. Come on, guys. Holy, righteous before the Lord your God for the nations which you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. Let us not become fascinated or infatuated with lesser things. We, we know God. We know the one true God. He has revealed himself. Come on, guys, in nature. I mean, all you got to do is look up, and you'll see God in his handiwork in the firmament of the sky. All you got to do is look around and see the trees and the rocks and the birds and see humanity and look within the spirit of man that God has placed in there as a lamp unto our soul. Nope, you don't need to look for lesser deities, pseudo-divinities. Look to me, God says. I, listen to me, guys. Oh, listen to this. You say, that's very provincial, Brother Danny. That is very myopic. And you need to rethink preaching like that in Austin because, Brother, we got lots of gods and you just don't have a monopoly on God. I want to go on record and say, I didn't say that. God said that. He said, I am the one true God. The gods of Hinduism, the gods of Buddhism, the gods of Islam are not the one true God. 
The Bible says, I am the Lord God. Jesus Christ is my son. I am Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I am the one true God. Worship me and me only. You say, whoa, brother, how dare you preach such a provincial, myopic word? Again, that is not my word. If you're angry with me, you're angry with the wrong person. You need to take that up with God. <clears throat> The Bible says, I'm calling you out. You be different. I'm different, he said. I'm the one true God. Stay away from Molex. Stay away from mediums. That is your part in the process of sanctification, okay? Let me read another passage to you out of 1 Thessalonians. This is so powerful. God is calling us out. He's shaping us, conforming us to his image. He says, for this is God's will for your life. You know, as a pastor, I get this all the time. Brother Danny, can you tell me what God's will is for my life? And I'm like, uh, that's a tall order. I mean, you know, I, my, you know, <laughs> no, I, I really can. I can pray with you. I can, but really, I ought to answer you this way. Yes, I can. I know what God's will is for your life. It's to be holy. It's to be sanctified. It's to be set apart for the purposes of God. In fact, God says this. It is your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Does that mean what I think it means? Yes, it does. It means what you think it means. All right, it means to be holy, to be dedicated, to be monogamous, to be married to one person for life, and to have sex with that person and with that person alone until God takes you out, okay? That's, that's what it means. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter of sexual immorality because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and we testify. For God, I'm glad you are sitting down, for God did not call you to be unclean but to be holy. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has given us his Holy Spirit. Before I leave this our part, let me just share something with you. It's not very flattering. Research has been done, especially recently in the last decade, that clearly shows that there is zero difference statistically in the behavior and the ethics and the morality of us in the church and those who are outside the church. We divorce just as much as they do. We sleep around just as much as they do. And we get drunk just as much as they do. And I'm asking you in Jesus' name, what is wrong with that picture? I mean, God has shed his blood. He died for you and for me so that we would not be weird or holier than thou. But in Jesus' name, they're all to be a little difference in us. I mean, we ought, to, we ought to be fundamentally different in our ethics, in our behavior, in the way that we live our life. You say, well, Brother Danny, I don't want to go there because that's legalism. That's not legalism, my dear friend. I'm just sharing with you because you're leading people to hell. They're looking at our lives, and they're going, oh, well, there's no difference in Christianity and everything else that I believe. So, And the reason I know is because there's no difference in you and me. You cheat on your taxes just like me. Ha <laughs> ha, ain't that cool? No, I don't think it's cool at all. I think God's calling us to be different. 
You say, where in the world would you get such an idea from the Bible, brothers? Sisters, from the Word of God, let us come out and be different before God. All right, number two, sanctification. Now that I've got you really mad, let me keep going. God's part. Well, what is God's part in this process? You know, we don't talk about this as preachers anymore, guys. Because preachers like me, we're more interested in building a crowd than building a church. <laughs> but I want you to know something. I'm not going there. I would rather have a few of you lean, mean, hostile, agile, mobile for Jesus than spiritual, obese people who compromise with the world. I, I just, that's just who I am. I, oh, I appreciate that. God, God bless you. I thank you. But it is kind of lonely up here. It, it's lonely preaching this message to somebody because it's difficult. And, and I, in, in homiletics, this is not the route to go anymore. Build a big church, get a big house, preacher, drive what you want to drive, get a big crowd, but don't offend the people because the people won't give their money and you can't live like you want to live. In Jesus' name, I don't want to do it. I refuse to do that. I'm going to preach to you. I might make you mad but I want to make you holy in the eyes of God. Okay, Let, let's, let's talk about this part. God says, okay, consecrate yourselves because I'm holy and all of this. And I, oh, here it is. I am the Lord your God who sanctifies you, kadosh you. When I was first studying this text, it's years ago, I've been studying and learning and preaching the names of God for many years. I'm, I'm fascinated with it. I think if we know God's name and his nature and his essence, his characteristics, I believe he's pleased with that. He wants his people to know him. Well, I was studying this, and I was pastoring a church in Virginia, and time got away from me. I'm no Hebrew scholar, I promise you. I took a year of Hebrew, and... And I've forgotten most of it. And I had these Hebrew grammar and books and theological workbook of the Old Testament. I had the Hebrew books. And I, was, and I was studying it, and time got away from it. Nobody knew where I was. I turned my cell phone off because I knew Hebrew, this is going to be tough, and i got to get down, and i got to figure it out. And so I'm studying and studying, and nobody knows where I am. Well, my executive pastor at the time, he found me. Time, I mean, time had gone by, and he said, Brother Dan, I'm glad I found you. People worried about you. Nobody knows where you are. He said, and you may want to call your wife. I thought, uh-oh. You know, husbands, when you're like, uh-oh, I think I'm in trouble, you know? And so I got to call mama. And I called my sweet wife, and I wrote down what she said. She may not remember this, but I do, and I want to read it to you. Quote, dinner is cold. Hannah is crying and the boys are standing on the top of their swing set looking for your car. <laughs> That's what she told me. Now, this is another day. This is when they were younger. And my response was, honey, I'm sorry. But did you know that when the doggish forte is in the second root stem in the Hebrew, that means it's in the PL, which means it's intensive. She wasn't impressed. I mean, she, she just wasn't. And her words were, and I wrote them down, and I quote, she goes, that's nice, come home and eat. <laughs> that's what she said. <laughs> but I'm going to share this with you. When that little dot, doggish forte is in that second root stem in the Hebrew, it took me a year uh, of studying this, and it took me many hours to rediscover this. 
It means it's in the intensive, which means what? Here it is. It's not just, I am the God who sanctifies you. I am the God who really sanctifies you. Do do you feel it? Do you get the intensity of it? That's the P-L, P-I-E-L. That is the intensive God saying, Israel, this is really important. You've got to be different. I've set you apart. I've sanctified you. I will do my part. You've got to do your part. You've got to be willing to be different, to be separate, to be holy, to be righteous. And it's not for your glory. It's actually for my glory. So that the nations will know that God has intervened. God has stepped in time. And he has revealed himself through his people Israel. Oh, listen to this word. Holiness is missional. He set us apart so that we could be on mission for him and we could broadcast to the nations that our God reigns, our God is the God, we are different because he has made us different and we love you. How would you like to know this God? That's, that's the purpose of it. I am the Lord your God who sanctifies you. I set you apart. Listen to this word. Quote, the people of God, therefore, we must be holy in practice as well as separated in position. The one is meaningless without the other. I don't, did you catch that? Well, I'm a Christian, Brother Danny. And I, I love God and I live like I, I want to. I mean, if I want to sleep with her, I will sleep with her. It's not a big deal. I'll just ask God to forgive me. Then, then it's meaningless. Your faith is meaningless. You really need to meet God and be saved. Because the God of the Bible says, you can't do that. Now, you can do that. If you're, not, if you're mine, and I will punish you and discipline you, but you will not continue ongoingly, habitually sleeping around with somebody who's not your spouse. If you do, it demonstrates that you are not positionally in Christ. That's kind of like what this guy's saying. This sanctifying or separating of his people is on the part of Jehovah an act. But the practice of holiness in his people is the working out of that act for themselves. End of quote. Thank you, Nathan Stone. You know, when I wrote my Ph.D. dissertation, it feels like 100 years ago, I wrote it, it took me forever to write this 258-page paper on a guy named Charles Grandison Finney. And I researched and analyzed his methodology, his theological construct, and I did a critical analysis of it. And what I found out about Finney was there are a lot of things theologically that I I don't think line up with the Word of God, and this is one of them. He said that you and I can reach a point of entire sanctification, meaning that you can so live a life that you will be absolutely perfect with no residue of sin in your life if you just try hard enough. And then he went on to say the Apostle Paul did never reach the status He used to know he had a thorn in the flesh because of sin. And I went, whoa, time out. If the greatest Christian who ever lived never attained entire sanctification or perfectionism, (laughs) who am I? You know what I'm saying? I don't believe you can. So you're looking at me and going, well, what's the use? Well, listen, we have to try. We have to try to be our best and and do what God wants us to do. Are we going to fail? Are we going to fall? You bet you we are. 
But what do we do? Oh, this is the word God gave me. This is what we do. As Christians, many times we fail and we fall and we get in this cage and we get in this, this condemnation and we're like, well, I'll never get out of this. I'm just pitiful. I'm just hopeless. And, I, and you know, God, I guess you're just through with me. No, he's not through with you. He says, get out of there. I forgive you. In Jesus' name, ask me. I forgive you. Cleanse you. Now come on back out and walk and live and pursue me. Pursue me in righteousness and holiness because there's a lost, jaded world who so desperately needs me. Do you, do you catch this? Man, I want it. Guys, I want it. But as I said earlier in the introduction of this sermon, I'm not, I'm not there. I wish, I wish I could say today, you have a perfect pastor. I never think a bad thought. I never do a, a, a wrong deed. I never say a bad word or, or, or say a word that I, I regret. No, I, man, I'm, I'm in process. And boy, God is, God is working on me. Be careful, Brother Danny. Don't, don't confess your sins because we like to think our preachers are perfect. Well, your preachers aren't. I got, a, I got pulled over yesterday by the police. <laughs> no, no, I'm telling you this because I'm, I'm, it bothered me. I'm still bothered by that. If I can't keep man's laws, how am I going to keep God's laws? It's not a good feeling when the light turns blue behind you. You know, you're just like, oh. I hope none of my church members see me, you know. And, but I didn't think you could because I was, and I told the officer this. He said, hello, sir, how are you doing? I said, I said sir, I got a son in San Antonio playing in a basketball tournament. I got another son in Austin playing in a tennis tournament, and I'm doing my dead-level best. I am running these roads back and forth, back and forth, and I'm, I'm just trying. I'm, I'm sorry. I know I was going too fast. Say, well, how fast were you going, Brother Danny? It's not your business, okay? I, I'll tell you this. I was still in the 70s, but he didn't like it, okay? And I, I just found, I, I said, sir, I'm, I'm sorry. He goes, all right. He said, I'm not going to give you a ticket, but I am going to give you a warning. I was like, yes, amen. He says, hold on just a second. He went back, came back, gave me this warning. And I was driving down the road, and that bothered me. And that still bothers me. I, I, guys, I want to be a righteous, pure man of God. It goes the speed limit, amen? I, I want to please the Lord. I want to serve him in every facet of my ethical, my uh, moral, thought life, practice, who I am, what I do, because I know God is pleased with that, but I know reality is we all fail. And so when we fail, what do we do? Do you do like me and just beat yourself up? Oh, you pitiful preacher, pastor, can't even keep the speed limit, you. That's the devil. I'm, I'm learning, God. I'm sorry. And God says, I heard you. I forgive you. Then go on. Woo! Man, I like that. I'm sorry. I heard you. I forgive you. Go on. Let me give it to you one more time. Woo! I like that. I'm sorry. I hear you. You're forgiven. Go on. Some of y'all needed to hear that. Well, God gave me a good word. I don't get a whole lot of original words, but I want to give you this one. I was, I was studying this, typing the sermon this week, and it's like God was reminding me of a truth that you already know. And here's the truth. Here is here's the way to pursue God in holiness and righteousness. And you've heard it, but let me give it to you. Know the word of God and live it out. Know this book. Have you heard this old aphorism? This book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Know God's Word and be passionate about it and live it to the best of your ability. And what God will do is He will shape you and mold you and conform you to the image of His Son. 
let me give you this scripture. This is just too important to omit. Let, let me read this to you. John 17, 14. I've given them your word. He is the living word, and we have the written word of Jesus. It's in red. Amen. We've got it. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I'm not of this world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Here it is. Here's the point. Make them holy, Father, by your truth, because your word is truth. You know, God broke my heart with a, with a thought this week, and it's true. You remember how we used to say in days gone by, let's be in the world, but not... We can't say that anymore. We, we cannot say that anymore in the church. And it goes back to the fact that there's no difference in us. We are now Christianity that's in the world, and we're very much of the world. And I, my heart breaks about that. I don't want that. I don't want that for me, and I don't want that for you. Psalm 119.11, Your word have I hidden in my heart. Does anybody know that? That I might what? That I might not sin against thee. Ken Hemphill, I love this quote. You cannot live a life that's holy and live a life apart from the Bible. The Christian needs both personal and corporate Bible study in order to provide a balanced diet. I'm going to make you all a promise. As your quasi-new preacher pastor here only five months, every Sunday except one, I'm going to preach this book. And I'm going to try my best to study it and line upon line, word upon word, precept upon precept, stay with the stuff, stay with the Bible. And some, I know what some of you are thinking. You're asking about that one Sunday. I know you. I know human nature. What are you going to do on that one Sunday? I'm not going to preach the Bible. January the 9th, 2011, it'll be a State of the Church address. And I'll talk about where we've been in 2010, who we are, and where we're going in 2011. And I'm kind of jacked up and juiced up about that sermon, though it's not a very good sermon because it's not from the Bible. Some of you are really trying to do the deal. You're not perfect. You know it. And everybody else knows it. But, but you genuinely try to do what's right. Stay, stay with me. I'm almost done. But there's a part of you, you're very tempted. You're, you're tempted to go, what the heck? I think I'll just step on over to the other side. That's what happened to Reggie White. Anybody remember Reggie White? He's about my size, 6'5", <laughs> 300 pounds. He was all everything at the other UT, University of Tennessee in Knoxville. 6'5", 300 pounds. Guys, he, he was ridiculous crazy good. He was so big and so strong, but he was also so crazy fast. Drafted, played for years, Green Bay Packers, played for all pro for the Philadelphia Eagles. I can still see him. S number 92, bull rushing. These huge linemen, he'd just pick them up, throw them down, and kill the quarterback. What a wonderful game. <laughs> and one day, one day, he said, um, 
you know, I'm tired. I love God. I'm living for God. All my teammates know I'm a Christian. They even call me the minister of defense. But he confided in his chaplain. And he said, chaplain, I'm just going to be real honest with you, man. I, I don't know if I can keep doing the deal. These guys are inexorable. They are relentless. They constantly ask me, look, Reggie, these ladies just line up for us. That's the world of the NFL. Just go and just sleep with whoever and whenever, man. What? Can't you just walk away from this Christianity for a little bit and have some fun? Come with us. He goes, don't you know something, chaplain? I am listening to them, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to resist. And this is what the chaplain told him. He said, oh, Reggie, you're hearing what they are saying. Let me tell you what they're saying, but you're not hearing. Everything within them is crying out and asking you, don't go with us. Don't be like us. They are asking you, listen to me, Reggie. I know I'm speaking the truth. You, all you're hearing is, oh, go with us. But they are asking, they're begging you, Reggie, please don't. Because we at least need to know that there is one guy who loves the God that we know exists, and he lives it before us. You know what? I think I'm preaching to some Reggie Whites today. You are, don't go there. Okay, don't go there. You do what you know is right because everything within your colleagues, everything within your physician friends, everything within your lawyer friends, everything within your plumber friends, everything within your neighborhood is crying out to you. Would you please be different? Would you please be different? I need to know that this God is real. It's real. I, well, I thank you, and I, I appreciate it. I do.